My name is Henry Volk, and you're listening to the first ever episode of the Theology in Perspective podcast. Theology in Perspective is a podcast about Pentecostal theology. And it's also a blog, which you can find at www.theologyandperspective.wordpress.com. Granted, there's not very many Pentecostal-related articles on the, the blog, but there's more to come. There's more content to come very soon. So before I get into today's episode, which is merely an introductory episode, kind of introducing myself and kind of where I would like to take the podcast, I would like to begin with a scripture. I'm reading from the book of 2 Timothy, the first chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in thee. The, the inspiration for this podcast comes not necessarily from any other podcast or or resource, so to speak, that I've come upon. It's uh, quite the opposite in that when it comes to the, the world of Pentecostal theology, there's not much uh, in way of audible resources besides sermons and perhaps some lectures that I've been able to find. Now, I think the, the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, does have a video podcast, if I'm not mistaken, called the the Pentecast. I believe there's another one called Cup and Cross. I, I could be mistaken on these. But compared to, let's say, the uh, Reformed theological world, um, who especially, I think, uh, even more so perhaps than the Evangelicals, have really uh, penetrated the uh, the podosphere and the blogosphere. And you get the, you know, the Lutheran podcast world, the course your evangelical podcast world and I, I think when it comes to the evangelicals there's not so many let's say theology podcasts so to speak but there are a lot of uh, sermons and, and churches who, who broadcast their their services via podcast etc and so I, I've wanted to do this for a little while and I finally kind of had the time to, to sit down and do this so I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I was raised in the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. I was saved when I was four years old. I accepted Christ uh, as a very little child. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12, uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And at the age of 19, 19, at the age of 19, <laughs> I, I went to Bible college. Uh, I went to a small uh, evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic Bible college in Ohio called CFM Bible College, which was an affiliate of Faith Theological Seminary and Christian College in Tampa, Florida. It was a great experience. and um, However, at that time, I, I had somewhat of a crisis of faith I began reading the Church Fathers, I began reading the Reformers, and I found that there was uh, a gap, so to speak, in between um, what I was taught growing up and what seemed to be the historical uh, doctrinal positions of the Church 
And, you know, that I just want to say a word about this, is that there is a lot of continuity in faith, uh, doctrine, and practice. Uh, well into the Reformation, you know, uh, it's not until you get into the Radical Reformation, uh, with groups like the Anabaptists, that you really start to see uh, groups of Christians depart from uh, what you could call a common core of Christian doctrine and practice. Some of this included uh, beliefs like infant baptism, uh, the belief that the Lord's Supper is uh, literally Jesus' body and blood, uh, and those were some of the bigger ones for me, These the sacraments. Uh, most Pentecostals nowadays, and I, and I emphasize nowadays for a reason, uh, refer, refer to the sacraments as ordinances. However, if you go back to the, uh, especially the earliest Pentecostal literature, you, you will see that term sacrament used uh, fairly consistently. You'll see both used, but you do see that term sacrament used. And even up until the time of John Wesley, you see this solidarity uh, with the ancient church throughout history. Uh, and even in Wesley's uh, practices and his beliefs, uh, someone who, who didn't really deviate uh, with the church uh, for its for its, uh, all of its history until that time. And so this was a, a, a very throwing experience for me, and I ended up leaving Pentecostalism, and I joined the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and I was uh, attending an LCMS church probably for the span of three years, and I was a member for at least one and a half to two years. And, you know, it's it's always interesting, especially for me in hindsight, when you see someone go through a conversion to another form of Christianity, uh, they always go through what's called the cage stage, the cage stage. And the Calvinists refer to this as cage stage Calvinism, but I think it's a good term, uh, irregardless of whether one converts to Calvinism or not. And so during this time, you know, I was very much, uh, during this time, I, I felt somewhat jaded. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, that the Pentecostalism was just a sham and, and that there was just nothing to it. It was all human, you know, uh, the tongues and, and, uh, the miraculous claims that these were just fabrications, etc., etc. Although I, I never completely denied everything, because you know there are some things and some experiences that you'll have in life that you just simply cannot deny. Um, and so, needless to say, I ended up offending a lot of people. And. To go on the record, I apologize for that right now, <laughs> but I'm glad I went through that process. I learned, uh, I just want to say that the Lutheranism, uh, that the Lutherans have great theology. 
the, the Lutheran theological heritage and tradition is very rich. However, it, it simply couldn't account for some of the experiences I've had that's part of my spiritual heritage, my spiritual DNA, so to speak. And so I've returned to the Pentecostal movement after realizing that um, that that these airtight theological systems that you'll find in, let's say, the older Protestant faiths, not the mainline Protestants, but among the uh, confessional Protestants, while it's doctrinally solid, it's too systematized, and that while it's... Uh, has a beauty and a glory all of its own, it simply couldn't account for my Pentecostal experience. Something that was with me since I can remember, honestly. And so I've, I've returned to Pentecostalism, very hopeful, uh, and with a fresh perspective. Uh, you know, when I left Pentecostalism, I was very upset with uh, the way that the movement was going and is going, uh, especially where it concerns things like the Word of Faith, the New Apostolic Reformation, um, the Prosperity Gospel. You know, there are many challenges, theological challenges, ahead for Pentecostals. You know, there are issues we have to deal with. There are doctrinal issues that, that we collectively have to address. But what drew me back to Pentecostalism was this blossoming academic and intellectual sector within the movement. Basically, that, you know, Pentecostalism at its formation, at its beginning, at its inception, uh, was not so much predicated upon uh, doctrinal differences. So we can say with the Protestant Reformation, for instance, that the Reformation was sparked by Martin Luther's understanding of salvation by faith alone and grace alone. Contra the Roman Catholic understanding, which is that salvation is by faith, plus meritorious works, um, plus the church, uh, and the saints even to some degree. I'm not going to get into the, the uh, all the little details of Roman Catholic soteriology today, but, you know, that was a doctrinal difference that sparked a movement, and consequently, every other Protestant movement was sparked from doctrinal differences. So Calvin... Uh, John Calvin uh, had differences with Luther. For instance, Calvin held to uh, a harsher form of predestination than Luther. Uh, while both denied free will, Luther ultimately held that uh, salvation was predetermined by God but no God damns no one to hell. And perhaps not so much Calvin, but definitely Calvin's successor Beza 
was a hard double pre double hard double predestinarian. Is that I, I believe that's how you would say that. <laughs> and you know, these differences that emerge they caused Christianity to fracture, not only in when it when it comes to the, the Reformation, the churches of the Reformation, some of this is doctrinal, some of this is because of church polity. So the uh, Episcopal Church, or the Anglican Church, rather, the Church of England, retained a uh, Catholic structure as far as having bishops uh, with quote-unquote apostolic succession. And, you know, their theology kind of morphed and changed because initially they had basically retained their Roman Catholic doctrine. But, you know... And of course, it's the the Church of England where Pentecostalism has its roots, because it's uh, the Church of England that John Wesley comes out of. So the uh, when the Anglicans came here to America, they no longer wanted to be called Anglicans; they were Episcopalians, meaning they their church has bishops. And you, know, the Methodist Church was originally called the Methodist Episcopal Church. It was never meant to be a kind of uh, an offshoot of the Episcopal Church, you know, is, is you know the word the real Episcopal Church that that wasn't Wesley's intention, I I believe. Anyways, that you know throughout the history of Protestantism, all of these denominations were birthed out of doctrinal differences and distinctions, but this is not really the case with Pentecostalism. Now, I, I want to say that that's not entirely true because Charles Parham, the, the founder of Pentecostalism, was a Methodist Holiness preacher and he had articulated a doctrine of speaking in tongues or a doctrine of evidential tongues, meaning that tongue speech or glossolalia is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Parham had articulated this doctrine before he had ever spoken tongues before anyone at Topeka Bible College. Uh, I don't believe that's the name of his Bible college, but his Bible college was in, was in Topeka, Kansas. Before anyone there spoke in tongues, he had already thought through this doctrine. But that's not so much what bound Pentecostals Together. Now, in a way it did, because that is the doctrinal distinction. But what bound Pentecostals together and distinguished them from uh, essentially all of the other holiness movements was this common experience in the Holy Spirit, uh, centered around primarily speaking in tongues. And so while if you look at uh, Methodist holiness literature from the time that time, you know, the, the early 20th century that, you know, the holiness and the Pentecostals had a very common vocabulary. You know, they, there were a lot of buzzwords that they used, even like Pentecostal was a, was a common holiness term. The term apostolic was certainly utilized by the, uh, the non-Pentecostal Wesleyan holiness and you know, even even today, I've met Wesleyan Holiness people that you would think were Holiness Pentecostal, 
who follow that tradition, you know, where the, the women don't cut their hair or wear pants, etc. Uh, except, and in every way, that they are essentially doctrinally aligned, except for this issue of speaking in tongues. So whereas the, the Methodist Holiness, the non-Pentecostal Methodist Holiness, would still identify with John Wesley that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is sanctification, the Pentecostals say no, uh, sanctification is the second work of grace, in some instances, and then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a little different, and that's not a universal formula for Pentecostals. That, um, that That's a touchy, uh, in-depth subject, subject I'm not going to get into today. But, you know, while Pentecostals throughout their history have, uh, we have theologized this experience, that it's not so much the theology that has defined us, although it does, but it's not what ultimately defines us. And it's the theology does not ultimately bind us together, but it is our common fellowship, our common participation in the Holy Spirit of God. And so, for me, while I appreciate greatly what I learned from Luther and Lutheranism, especially their sacramental theology, which, you know, in this academic uh, movement that's blossoming within Pentecostalism, there is this, I would say, a flirtation with the sacramental, which in, a, in my next podcast, I'll probably talk about this some. Um, but, you know, that that's really a part of the Pentecostal heritage. The traditional uh, sacramentology of the church, uh, you know, if we trace our roots back through Wesley to the Anglican church, we find the historic teaching of the sacraments held by Christians throughout all ages. And so sadly, I think because of the influences of, uh, say, pietism and, uh, you know, especially you know, the Baptists who definitely denied uh, the reality of the sacraments for the most part, for the most part, especially the, the Wesleyan uh, free will Baptists that, that you typically find. Now among the, let's say, Reformed Baptists, I think there may be a little bit more substance there maybe coming from that Calvinistic influence, but you know that my goal uh, to wrap things up for this episode my, my goal for this podcast is to show how the, the Pentecostal heritage connects with the broader and wider Christian heritage and I've been reading a book by Simon Chan and I'm going to say it right now I think Simon Chan is probably the most important scholar of this century as far as you know, Pentecostalism goes, because he is so on point, and I think this book was written uh, either in the I think it was written in the early two thousands. It's called Pentecostalism and in, in the Christian Spiritual Tradition, and and Chan is in fact talking about this very problem of how Pentecostals are, are number one having trouble 
passing on their tradition of faith to the next generation, and two, how it is that we connect with the broader Christian heritage and world. You know, and so that's that's going to be my, my focus in this podcast, exploring Pentecostal theology and many other theologies, Christian theologies, and seeing where we intersect, in fact, where our what our tradition as Pentecostals actually says, what we have in common with other traditions that perhaps that we have overlooked because of prejudices or um, misunderstandings when it comes to their theological convictions, etc. So I think Theology in Perspective is a very fitting title uh, for this project. And so I hope you will join me next time. I hope I haven't bored you. Uh, but we'll get into this this topic of how does, first of all, how does Pentecostalism intersect with the rest of the Christian world? What do we have in common? What do we have in different, in difference? And how do we chart our way back to our own tradition and beyond to find the historic truths of the church's teaching and of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have a blessed day. My name is Henry Volk, and this is Theology in Perspective. Mm-hmm.